your Bibles exactly to the place where we left off this morning, Exodus chapter 2, verse 11. Exodus chapter 2, verse 11. We have begun a new series. It's a short one. I wish we had more time for this one, but we're going to just learn some lessons from the life of Moses. The life of Moses is long, and a good part of the first five books of the Old Testament deal with the life and ministry and miraculous uh, miraculous way that God uses the man Moses. As I said this morning, you can't start Moses' story with Moses. You really have to go back to those Hebrew midwives. You have to go back to his mother. Uh, she's not named uh, in that passage we read this morning, uh, but we learn later that her name is Jacobed uh, and her father as well. Um, just an amazing, amazing story. Uh, again, God's people, the children of Israel, are, are now in Egypt and so uh, this is where the story begins. God's children are suffering in slavery. Moses is going to be the deliverer. We know now that he's born. He is being raised as the prince of Egypt, but we really don't know beyond that of what others know of what God's plan is going to be. It's going to unfold slowly. This morning's sermon, I, I, I love preaching that. Uh, I love the idea that you... you, you, you aren't expected to do what you can't do. You just do what you can do. And if all you can do is build a, a basket, you build a basket. It, it would have been a great Mother's Day sermon for next week, but I couldn't make that happen. So just, you know, happy Mother's Day to you. That was it. <laughs> next Sunday sermon is called The Death Grip of God, and, and Mama won't necessarily like it that, that much. Uh, but anyway, a happy Mother's Day early. That's uh, close as I could get that. Uh, I usually don't try to preach toward the, the Hallmark card holidays. I just try to preach God's word in the way that it best suits our needs. And again, uh, I was just thinking this morning how perfect that would have been for next week. Uh, but anyway, uh, we are where we are. Uh, I want to zero in tonight, uh, right where we left off, verse 11. Now, because our time is limited, I'm actually not going to preach a lot of the passages in Moses' life that you've already heard preached. Uh, the ones that I've already preached to death or preached several times. I really want to try to go to some of those other places uh, because the, the scripture is rich and the life of Moses is rich and there's so much to learn. So for that reason, I want, I want to look at this passage tonight and we really won't be doing Moses in the burning bush. I, I love the story of Moses in the burning bush, but I've preached that a lot and haven't preached some others. So just notice along the way, I may skip some of the stories that you've heard a lot and zero in on some of the passages that are less familiar and this might be one of those. But I consider it kind of a, a defining moment, a turning point of, for Moses. A couple of weeks ago at Disciple Now Weekend, the D-Now Weekend for the Teenagers, their theme was Kairos, uh, defining moments. And you saw the posters all over the church for a while. What is a defining moment in a person's life? A, a defining moment. How would you define that? Yeah, like a crossroads. You get to a point, perhaps a decision is made that will alter the direction of your life, for good or for bad, uh, a crossroads. You make a decision, you make a turn, and, and it will alter uh, the direction of your life from that point on. A turning point. Yeah. What else? Defining moment. Yeah. Taylor? Yeah, sometimes it's, it's a realization or knowledge that helps us understand more deeply who we are or who we're becoming. Yeah, so Taylor says it's, it, it, it can lead to choices, it can lead to changes, but sometimes it's just a deeper awareness, a deeper knowledge of, of, of who God has created us to be. Can anybody give an example in your life? Can you tell me about a defining moment or a turning point or, or one of those uh, magic uh, minutes in your own life, a defining moment? 
Who's had one? Go ahead, Taylor. Yeah, that realization helped you learn to approach and respect more non-believers even as you try to minister to them. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, helped you change the total perspective, which sort of changes the way you approach people. Yeah, absolutely. Somebody else, a defining moment. Tell me about it, Renee. Yeah, we're grateful too. Yeah, a defining moment when, when you were led to, to Woodburn Baptist Church. Yeah, praise the Lord. It's been good for all of us. Yeah. Somebody else, a turning point, defining moment? Yeah, Sherman. Yeah, really worried that you would require surgery for your hand. That's amazing, yeah. Best news you could imagine on your 80th birthday, yeah, and you know as a result of prayer. Yeah. Yeah. If you look back over your life, you'll probably find a number of those kind of moments, defining moments. There's probably one or two that are gigantic and others along the way, uh, but God continues to reveal himself to us if we continue to seek him. And, and this is uh, one of these defining moments for Moses. I, I don't assume that we know all of them, but I think we get some of the major ones. The burning bush experience, of course, is a major defining moment for him. But so is this. Exodus chapter 2, verse 11. We're going to read through uh, the end of this chapter. Listen, pay attention to uh, these moments in Moses' life. Many years later, okay, later than what? What just happened? Yeah, the last thing was that the princess named him Moses and she said, I lift him out of the water. So when we last saw Moses, he was a baby coming out of the water. But now it's many years later. When Moses had grown up, he went out to visit his own people, the Hebrews, and he saw how hard they were forced to work. During his visit, he saw an Egyptian beating one of his fellow Hebrews. And after looking in all directions to make sure no one was watching, Moses killed the Egyptian and hid the body in the sand. The next day when Moses went out to visit his people again, he saw two Hebrew men fighting. Why are you beating up your friend? Moses said to the one who had started the fight. The man replied, who appointed you to be our prince and judge? Are you going to kill me like you killed the Egyptian yesterday? 
Then Moses was afraid, thinking everybody knows what I did. And sure enough, Pharaoh heard what had happened, and he tried to kill Moses. That wasn't the first time, was it? But, but Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in the land of Midian. When Moses arrived in Midian, he sat down beside a well. Now the priest of Midian had seven daughters who came as usual to draw water and fill the water troughs for their father's flocks. But, but some other shepherds came and chased them away. So Moses jumped up and rescued the girls from the shepherds, and then he drew water for their flocks. When the girls returned to Ruel, their father, he asked, Why are you back so soon today? An Egyptian rescued us from the shepherds, they answered, and then he drew water for us and watered our flocks. Then where is he? The father asked. Why did you leave him there? Invite him to come and eat with us. Moses accepted the invitation and he settled there with him. In time, Ruel gave Moses his daughter Zipporah to be his wife. Later she gave birth to a son and Moses named him Gershom for he explained, I have been a foreigner in a foreign land. The name Gershom means alien. Yeah, alien. Years passed and the king of Egypt died. But the Israelites continued to groan under their burden of slavery. They cried out for help and their cry rose up to God. God heard their groaning and he remembered his covenant promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He looked down on the people of Israel and knew it was time to act. Yeah. That's good. All right, let's just walk through a little bit. Many years later, when Moses had grown up, we talked a little bit about parenting this morning. Uh, so let's flesh that out a little bit more. What does it mean to grow up? Yeah, Tim says to, to be a grown-up means to assume responsibility. Can, can you explain to me how that's happened even in your own life, Tim? How does a young man uh, assume responsibility and therefore adulthood? Yeah, yeah, very basically, pay your own bills. Yeah, there comes a point when you can no longer expect that somebody else is going to provide for you, take care of you. You learn to take care of yourself. It's part of growing up. That's maturity. That's maturity. You want to be able to care for yourself and, and for your family. The New Testament says anybody who, who won't do that, who won't take care of, of their own family, is worse off than a non-believer. Okay? So Scripture puts a very, very high premium on a person's growing up and learning to take responsibility, learning to care for themselves, pay their own bills. What else? Is that all there is to it? Once you're paying your own bills, you've arrived. You're grown. Wow. Chris says, when you actually become your parents. Yeah. Jacob, it's one of the most horrifying things you've ever heard in your life, isn't it? Yeah, you're going to become. John Mark is, is morphing into Mark McRoy every, every single day. Seriously? Are, are you becoming your dad? Yeah. Was that something you set out to do? Yeah. What happened to you, Chris? What happened? You morphed. Yeah. Why is it? Why is it? I spent a good part of my, of my life saying, I will never be like Don Harris. I'm not going to be like Don Harris. Man, I became like him. I'm still becoming like him. More like him every day, and, and I'm not trying. Well, what makes it work that way? Why does it happen we so easily slip into becoming them? Yeah, what, what do you think it is? You, you can't rule, you can't overrule genetics. Yeah. 
Some things are just predetermined, perhaps. Wisdom? Yeah, we, we begin to see our parents very differently when we step into their roles and when we face some of the things that they faced. It's very, very easy to sit back as a kid and judge your parents. But then you begin to walk in their shoes and, and you begin to assume the sort of burdens that they assumed and hopefully learn some of the lessons and hopefully, in the best cases, we, we become a lot like our, our, our godly parents. Joe Neal, what were you going to say? Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Um, for many of us, I'm sure it's the same with women, but I can only speak as a man. That is kind of a big moment when you suddenly realize, oh my goodness, I'm the man of this house. We are so in trouble. We are so in trouble. I'm the man of this house. If somebody breaks in, I've got to defend this family. God help everybody. <laughs> yeah, oh my. But there is a moment when we become that man, that woman. And, uh, and, and it's a heavy kind of feeling. Moses grew up, the scripture says. He grew up. Many years later, Moses had grown up. He went out to visit his own people, the Hebrews, and he saw how hard they were forced to work. Okay, now stop. Do you even think for a moment this is the first time he's gone out and seen this? Not at all. This is simply what he's seen every day of his life. The slavery of the Hebrews is not new. Now Moses, however, has been sheltered from that. And it's one of the blessings of his life. Moses has never had to be a slave. Now Jochebed did take him home and she was able to nurse him and keep him for probably two or three years. I do believe that, that, that the Jews typically weaned at about two, three years, something like that. So, so she was... He was raised in that slave house while he was an infant, but, but before he could probably begin to form memories, he was relocated into Pharaoh's house. He was then raised as a prince of Egypt. He was raised in the palace, the, the son, the darling son of Pharaoh's daughter. And so Moses lived a very, very charmed and protected life, a life of luxury. He would have received one of the finest educations in the entire world of the time. You understand that? The, the, the Egyptian kingdom was amazing, and they had a library, and they emphasized education for their upper class. And Moses would have had a world-class education. He would have learned languages. He would have learned law. He would have studied all of the major disciplines. He would have learned government. He would have been primed and trained as one who could eventually step forward and lead in Egypt. It's amazing. Now just stop. Isn't it amazing how God arranges that? Because Moses is going to need all of that. And God is, of course, always orchestrating. He's ruling and overruling in human events. So Moses has this unbelievable life, born a Hebrew slave but raised as a prince in Egypt. 
I don't really know what his job would be if he had any sort of job at all. But it seems from this passage that he did have a pattern of going out uh, almost on a daily basis and somehow supervising or, or watching over the work of the slaves, his people. So, so what he does this day is, is, is not new. It's the kind of thing he would have done probably nearly every day of his adult life. He went out to visit his own people, the Hebrews, and he saw how hard they were forced to work. During his visit, he saw an Egyptian beating one of his fellow Hebrews. And after looking in all directions to make sure no one was watching, Moses killed the Egyptian and hid the body in the sand. As, as I say, he's been growing up. He has been seeing this kind of thing perhaps on a daily basis. What's different? What are the signs that Moses has grown up? We're told that, but do you see it? Something about Moses lets you know that, that this is a defining moment, a turning point. This boy just became something of a man. What, what happens? What do you see? Yeah, so often as, as children or, or people who are immature, they're just spectators in everything. They just watch the world go by. They, they just sort of sit back passively and, and watch things happen and, and let things happen. But something happens in Moses this day. He, he, he's no longer just a spectator. He is deeply moved by what he sees. Yeah, what, what were we going to say, Donna? Yeah, yeah, a, a righteous anger. Yeah, a, a righteous anger. I've heard somebody say that if you're really trying to seek what God's will is for your life, pay attention to what makes you angry. There is a kind of righteous anger, that there is something that stirs within the heart of a person who seeks the Lord, and, and you will not be able to stand by and simply abide injustice or, or unfairness or unrighteousness. And you can see in this moment, Moses kind of develops that kind of burden. He, he looks at the world, he sees how things are, and he's deeply troubled by it, and he's no longer willing not to do something about it. As Tim May says, at this moment, Moses assumes responsibility. He assumes some responsibility. Now, we can discuss whether or not he does the right thing, but in this moment, there is a passion and a zeal that comes from a righteous place in him, and he assumes responsibility for the situation of the world around him. I think that's got something to do with, with maturity. Yeah, Claude. Yeah, it's a moment of identity. It's like Taylor said, sometimes in these defining moments, we begin to realize more deeply who we are. Now, Moses is a man who would probably sort of grow up and for the most part, maybe not always understand who he is. Now, why would I say that? Why would Moses maybe sometimes not feel like he has a, a people at all? 
You understand what I'm getting at? Yeah, he's raised as an Egyptian, but he's not an Egyptian. He goes out among the Hebrew people, but, but how can he feel like one of the Hebrews? He has not lived their story. You understand? He's not down with that struggle. He's never, ever lived that life. And so for Moses, it's almost as if he's going to have to decide who he's going to be. He's going to have to realize who he is. And this is one of those defining moments. You can see Moses at this place really turn and take sides. Who's he going to be? Whose people is going to be his people? Yeah, obviously it's the Hebrews. He sides with with the Hebrew people. Now, let's just go there. Does this passage condone murder? I mean, because Moses kills a guy and buries him in the sand. It's, it's a great part of the story. At that moment, does God say, go get him, get him, yeah, get him. Is, is it pleasing to God that Moses kills an Egyptian? What's that? Yeah, there's guilt involved, yeah, which is a pretty good sign that you've offended God. Yeah, there, there's guilt involved. Why else? Does this passage condone the murder of the Egyptian? What do you think? Yeah, we we say no. What does the killing of the Egyptian represent, though? We've talked a little bit about this already. What's it represent? When Moses kills this Egyptian, what does it signify? Yeah, it's like, a, it's like a preview of things to come. That The Hebrew people are going to, to, to rise up. They are going to be delivered. The Egyptians are coming under the judgment of God. Now, Moses is not God here. But understand, it's, it's just this sign that things are going to turn. The, the, the death of this Egyptian this day is sort of the beginning of, of something that's going to turn in a big way against the Egyptians. Yeah. What else? Yeah, when he buries that Egyptian in the sand, you can just almost recognize that, that you, the Egyptian part of Moses gets buried too. From this point on, that's not who he is. He has sided with the Hebrews, and from this point on, he is going to move and operate as one of them. But, but let's go on. The, the next day, when Moses went out to visit his people again, he saw two Hebrew men fighting, and he said, Why are you beating up your friend? The man replied, Who appointed you to be our prince and judge? Okay, stop right there. Great question. Awesome question. Why is it so good? What do you say, Tim? Yeah, yeah, yesterday Moses was somebody you feared, but now he's talking back to him. That's interesting. Yeah, he talks back to him. What's great about his question, though? Great question. Who appointed you, prince and judge, over us? Yeah, yeah, that's the amazing thing. Moses is going to be, going to be the leader of these people. So this is one of those great, great early questions where you think, hmm, yeah. Who appointed you, prince and judge, over us? Are you going to kill me like you killed that Egyptian yesterday? Moses was afraid, thinking everybody knows what I did. Sure enough, Pharaoh heard what had happened and he tried to kill Moses. Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in the land of Midian. Okay, let's go back. Look in the New Testament, Acts chapter 7, verse 23. Acts chapter 7, verse 23. 
Acts chapter 7 is right before Stephen, one of the first deacons is stoned. He preaches his sermon. And in his sermon, he tells the story of Moses. And, and I want you to look at Stephen's version of this story just for what Stephen adds. This is interesting. Acts chapter 7, verse 23. One day when Moses was 40 years old, okay, that's pretty good. We didn't know that. How old is Moses when the Exodus passage says he grew up? He's 40, all right? One day when Moses was 40 years old, he decided to visit his relatives, the people of Israel. He saw an Egyptian mistreating an Israelite, so Moses came to the man's defense and avenged him, killing the Egyptian. Notice, Moses assumed his fellow Israelites would realize that God had sent him to rescue them, but they didn't. Hmm. Next day, he visited them again and saw two men of Israel fighting. He tried to be a peacemaker. Men, he said, why are your brothers? Why are you fighting each other? But the man in the wrong pushed Moses aside. Who made you a ruler and judge over us, he asked. Are you going to kill me as you killed that Egyptian yesterday? When Moses heard that, he fled the country and lived as a foreigner in the land of Midian. Okay, Stephen tells the story, and he adds some things we didn't know necessarily. What's Stephen tell us? We find out his age, yeah, find out his age, but what else? Yeah, we get this insight in, into Moses' mind. In that episode when he killed that Egyptian, there was something going on inside Moses' head. Verse 25, what was Moses thinking? Yeah, Moses assumed his fellow Israelites would realize that God had sent him to rescue them, but they didn't. Okay, that, that's amazing because it doesn't just tell us what Moses' motivation was, it shows us that Moses had some realization of who he was and what his purpose was. At this point in his life, at the age of 40, when he goes out on that day to visit his people, Moses already has this realization of his, of his life's purpose. And what is it? He's going to rescue these people. Somehow Moses knows that. I don't know how he would know that. We have no idea. We're not told in any way, but somehow over the course of Moses' life, God has begun to reveal to him something of his purpose. And, and on this day, Moses knows that he is chosen by God to set the Israelites free. And when he kills the Egyptian, he's thinking that they're going to realize that too. Isn't that amazing? Did you realize, did you understand this? Moses sort of already knows who he is and what he's supposed to do. And maybe in this moment he's thinking, this is the beginning. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start the fire now that's going to burn and liberate the people. But it, it doesn't turn out that way. What kind of response did he expect from the Israelites? Appreciation, gratitude, realization? But, but, but none of that, none of that happens. Who, who, are you to, who appointed you to be our prince and judge? Are you going to kill me as you killed that Egyptian yesterday? And then Moses was afraid. Wow. When Moses arrived in Midian, he sat down beside a well. 
Now the priests of Midian had seven daughters who came as usual to draw water and fill the water troughs for their father's flocks, verse 17. But some other shepherds came and chased them away. So Moses jumped up and rescued the girls from the shepherds and he drew water for their flocks. When the girls returned to Ruel, their father, he asked, why are you back so soon today? And they said, and the Egyptian rescued us from the shepherds. How are these scenes related? The scene where Moses tries to avenge the, the, the Hebrew that was beaten by the Egyptian taskmaster. and How is that related to Moses' uh, action out by the well? What do you see? Yeah, Moses has this bone in his body. He's always going to stand up and protect the underdog. He's going to stand up against injustice. He can't help it. It's impulsive for him. He does it when he sees a Hebrew suffering, and he can't stand to see these women out by the well mistreated by a bunch of, uh, a bunch of you know, Edmondson County shepherds. So, so he runs off the shepherds, rescues the women. This is just sort of Moses. It, it, it's sort of his instinct. What's he thinking now? If, if back in Egypt, he already knew that God had chosen him to deliver the people, and, and, and when he killed the Egyptian, he thought that they would recognize that too, and maybe that would be the start of, of, of everything God had, 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 had created him for. And Man, now he is on the ugly side of the desert. No friends, no family, nobody. And honestly, he's going to live out here for something like 40 more years. What's that like? To, to have an idea of what God wants for your life, to know that you have a purpose and that God has a plan, and, and to have a, a real sense of what God wants you to do, but it just seems like the, the days, the months, the, the weeks, the years just keep taking you further and further away from what God's called you to do. What's that like? And what do you think that does to Moses? He's going to spend years now waiting, waiting for God to put him back in a place to use him. What's the purpose of the waiting? Yeah, what do you say, Claude? Yeah. 
Yeah, I understand, you know, we talk about waiting on the Lord, and I get that, but 40 years? Waiting on the, I mean, did you go to college and there, you had rules like if the professor was late coming to class, did y'all ever talk about how long you needed to wait before you were allowed to just leave? Yeah, did you ever talk about that? What did you say? Okay, if he's a PhD, you give him 15, Taylor says these days. But if it's not a PhD, you can go out in 12? Yeah, 12 or 10. Joe Neal. You know, Moses may think he's ready, and he may feel ready. <laughs> he ain't ready. He's not ready. He's just not ready. He may have a sense of what God wants him to do, and he may have this burning passion and righteous anger to do it. But if you turn him loose right now, he's not going to do God's will, God's way. And he obviously doesn't have much respect for God's timing. He may feel ready, but he's just not ready. And sometimes in our own lives, we think we're ready and we think we know what we're supposed to do and, and we feel just so busting ready to, to jump out and do it. But, but to have faith in God, someone has said, is to have faith in his timing. Sometimes we just wait. Mark. Yeah. Yeah, they obviously don't seem ready necessarily to embrace him as a judge or, or ruler over them. Yeah, somebody else's hand was up. Yeah, Renee. God's got to prepare the man. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I remember that feeling in, in my life. For me, it was when I went to seminary. I, I loved, loved, loved ministry at Woodburn Baptist Church when I was young. You all know that. And to, to, to leave you and to step into seminary was the hardest thing ever for me. It really was. I had seen pastors leave churches before, but usually it wasn't pretty. You know, there were police involved and, and, and you know, that kind of thing. 
Um, I had never just known that God would ask you to leave when, when you wanted to stay with your whole heart, and, and it was very difficult. What got harder was from that point I stepped out of active ministry, and I just felt like I was put on the shelf for the longest time. It's like God just pushed hold on everything that he was doing in my life and it, and it was so very difficult to, to to wait that out I look back now and know how important it was but it was one of the hardest times of my life to feel that nothing was happening uh, interestingly the word seminary means seedbed seedbed uh, and so at this time of year some of you are developing a, a seedbed uh, I love to plant a garden I am a horrible gardener mostly because I'm very impatient. Now, I haven't planted this year. I probably am not going to, although Judy Chapman still says, I've got time, uh, but, but, but I don't know. But, but typically, if I plant a garden, I will work the soil, and I will plant the seeds, and then I will water, and then I will go out maybe twice a day to look and see if anything's coming up yet. Anybody else do that? I mean, I will go. I will go maybe twice a day because I, I love to watch things come up. I just do. It's just a miracle, and, and I love that, and I can't wait to see little green things come popping up. But you know what? You plant, and things don't just pop up the next day. Sometimes it takes a lot of days, and then I, I freak out because I don't feel very confident as a gardener. I don't have a green thumb or nothing like you people. And, and I'm worried because I'm told that, you know, you got to plant when you got to plant. And so, you know, if, if this is all going to bomb, I need to know this so I can replant. So I'm always a little bit tempted, and I confess sometimes I've done it. I will go and dig it up. Yeah. I dig it up because I just want to see, is anything happening? Because, because what's happening is invisible, and what's happening is in the dark and in the underground. And I dig it up, and what do I find? Wow, this seed that was swelling and, and burst open and it had these snow white roots going down and a little bitty white tendril going up, but I just killed all that because I couldn't wait for it. You understand? Sometimes what God is doing in our lives is invisible and in the dark, but it does not mean God's not at work. Sometimes there's no visible fruit, but, but it does not mean that you stepped out of God's will. Sometimes the only thing that God is asking you to do is stay in the seedbed, stay in his hand, stay faithful to him, and just let him do his thing. It's, it's invisible, it's slow, it's in the dark, but roots are going down deep into him. Roots are going down deep into the Lord, and you don't want to skip that process. You don't want to skip that silent, dark, quiet time when God is doing things, but you don't necessarily know what he's doing, and the world can't see it yet. You see, there's just this time when God takes Moses and just pushes him down, pushes him down into the darkness, pushes him down into the desert, pushes him down into isolation, pushes him down into nothingness. And during this time, Moses is going to grow. He's going to develop. In the darkness of God's plan, Moses is going to put down deep roots. He's going to learn to hear God's voice. Of all things, he's going to learn to be a shepherd. Every single day, he's going to learn how to lead sheep. This turns out to be pretty good experience for the flock he's going to lead to the promised land. 
just seems like sometimes things go on hold. It seems like God just walked off and left us, but he never walks off and leaves us. But sometimes we are called to wait. And sometimes we wait a lot longer than we ever thought we'd have to wait. But when the next step for you is God calling on you to just be still and wait, then you just wait in faithfulness. You wait. Yeah, dreamer. Maybe it takes 40 years to get the Egyptian out of him. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, Dream is saying that, that you know, with, with the Hebrews, he's an Egyptian. With the Egyptians, he's a Hebrew. When he goes out to the Midianites, they call him an Egyptian. I guess the bottom line is you just can't ever look to other people to tell you who you are. Uh, you have to let God tell you who you are, and maybe that took 40 years for him. A, a couple of things. Read through the Moses story. Get ready for the passage that comes next. I'm really going to try to preach it. Y- y'all pray uh, that God will help me next week. It's a difficult passage to preach. It's an ugly passage, but I feel led to preach it. Uh, on the way, uh, years later, when Moses is going to Egypt to set the people free after the burning bush, there's a really dark, strange passage where it says God attacked him to kill him. God attacked Moses to kill him. I've never heard that preached. I feel like there's something there for us. So just pray for me, and happy Mother's Day with that. Uh, that that's next Sunday sermon. If you're interested and want to do a little bit of homework, why don't you look up this man that we met tonight, That this priest of Midian named Ruel, or otherwise called Jethro. He's given several names in Scripture. The same man, the priest of Midian. We really don't know what that is. But why don't you do some research? Google that. Just start looking up Jethro, the priest of Midian. It's very difficult to understand what kind of priest he is. Is he a priest of Yahweh? Is he a priest of the God that the Israelites served and and known? Is he some sort of pagan priest? Notice every time God reveals himself, he says, I'm the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. He never mentions anybody else outside that line. So is Jethro, is Ruel, is is Moses' father-in-law? A a real God-fearing, Yahweh-serving priest? Or is he some sort of Midianite pagan priest? Uh, You'll find people who argue both sides, but it might make a difference when we read uh, next Sunday's passage. So uh, do a little bit of homework. See what you can come up with. Find out what kind of priest uh, Jethro was back in Midian. Uh, Claudia, did you have something? Any final thoughts? God's timing is perfect. And the real defining moments, Claude says, are the moments when God steps into history and acts. Yeah, when God works. Yeah, absolutely. Let's stand together. Let's be dismissed with prayer tonight. God bless you. Um, It's going to be a good week. It's going to be a difficult week for some of us. Let's just pray for one another. Don't ever forget to pray for, uh, for one another. Jacob Harris, would you dismiss us tonight with a word of benediction, please?